The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the program tonight, it is our LGBTQ panel. We're going to talk about uh, what two-spirited means. The two when you see LGBTQ2 plus is what uh, is the acronym now. We'll talk about that. We'll talk also about what's lacking in sex education when it comes to talking about, uh, let's say, safe sex for the LGBTQ community and uh, whatever else you want to talk about. We'll have an interesting panel uh, for you together. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. You can always email me your question as well, or questions at 5, uh, no, Lori at drlori.com and you can text them in at 514-800. So somebody's writing in on the topic of uh, vanilla sex, which I've been, uh, I was discussing with Robin. Uh, shouldn't there equally be a term describing middle ground sexual preferences, which may simultaneously include techniques and practices pertaining to both categories, meaning vanilla and kink, uh, yet which don't necessarily fall under either extreme as well. Um, well, you're right. There maybe should be what that term should be. I, I, I don't know, but you can always be um, mostly into vanilla with a pinch of, uh, excuse the pun, of kink. Um, but again, what is kink? What is vanilla these days? Like there's just... It's not as clear cut as it, uh, as it once was because a lot of behaviors, a lot of kinky sexual practices, for example, that at one time seemed extreme are just not that extreme anymore and may fall into, uh, even the vanilla category. So there's, uh, uh you're right. When we think of it, we might think of more, uh, extreme, but. If you think of a name, let me know. All right, I got this email. It's a bit confusing. So it says, I have regular sex with my girlfriend, but I go, I don't know what this word means. I go zale and many problems in my sex life. I'm thinking you go soft. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, So when, um, when you're having problems with your performance, whether you lose your erection or you have problems with the ejaculation or you have whatever problems in your sex life, you need a full assessment. And a full assessment means that you see a specialist like myself, for example, where uh, the first session is really asking you about all kinds of questions regarding your sex life, your history, your medical history, your psychological history, what's going on in your life, the stressors that you have. Uh, it's also a way to verify whether something is more on the psychological side versus on the medical side. Then if necessary, uh, you get referred to a medical doctor to do the uh, necessary test to find out if it is in fact uh, medical. But I can give you one example. If somebody comes in and says to me that they have uh, trouble with their erections when they are having sex with their partner, one of the first questions I ask is, okay, how about when you masturbate? Do you have 
full erections then? And if the answer is yes, then I know that it is not a physical uh, cause. And so I would not send them to the doctor for any tests. And then I would start looking at, all right, what is causing this person anxiety? Uh, is it uh, is it due to the relationship? Is it because it's a new relationship? Are there um, uh, kind of uh, things that are going on uh, about the messages they got about sexuality that are interfering here? Are there any fears Things like that. So these are the kinds of things that we address, which is why you need a thorough evaluation. And unfortunately, I, you know, even when you ask me questions here with very limited information, there's very little I can, I can actually do. Uh, and even, even when I can, I can only give you a generalized answer, not based exactly on your situation because I don't have all the facts. So that's why uh, a good evaluation is, uh, is often the first place to start. And I get it. Some people are really shy about going and talking about this kind of thing to, uh, to anybody uh, or to a professional. But uh, trust me when I tell you that uh, those of us who work in the field of sexuality have pretty much heard it all. Uh, and there's no, uh, no need for uh, shyness or shame or anything. We don't judge. We are there to hear and to help uh, so without without that judgment and and people usually once they're in the office they they see because it's it's a question of the approach that uh, we use when we talk about these issues that uh, make it comfortable for people to to talk more about them. I have a four and a half inch erect penis, this texture writes. My lovers don't seem to mind, but it's a constant issue for me. I get past it, but always feel I lack in size. Is there something I can do to enlarge it? Mm, we just had a big talk about that last night when we had our uh, cosmetic specialist on. So you have a four and a half inch erect penis. Your lovers don't mind you're obviously doing well with what you've got and you, your uh, partners are not complaining that you're not a good lover. Uh, you need to let that go because there's very little that can be done that you cannot lengthen your penis. Uh, but you, and this was the conclusion from the doctor that we had in studio with us, uh, at least not in a non-invasive uh, way he was talking about sure you can wear weights on your penis uh, every single day uh, for a year to get another centimeter or so is that worth it it's sounds like a big pain in the butt frankly uh, to do something like that uh, but they can increase the uh, the girth and you know any any procedure comes with it some risks so you still have to be uh, mindful of all of that and is it really worth it. And, uh, all, any procedure can, will only add, uh, you know, one to two centimeters, whatever it is. So that's not a huge, uh, difference. Um, obvious, like be comfortable with what you have, be proud and use what you have well. And that's really what matters to most people. I'm not going to say all, uh, because you can talk to some women who say, oh no, I prefer a really big penis. Okay, that's fine. That's you. But the majority of women who are interested in a relationship with someone when they have all kinds of other qualities, uh, and you're a good lover, meaning you're an attentive lover, you pay attention to your partner's needs, uh, you 
you use a lot of foreplay, which is the most important thing for women. 75% of women do not orgasm through intercourse, so it isn't about the size of your penis that's going to make them have an orgasm or not have an orgasm vaginally. Uh, so what you do with your mouth, what you do with your hands, far more, uh, far more important. So trust it. Trust what they're telling you. Uh, texter says, uh, right, LGBTQ is not an acronym, it's an abbreviation. You're absolutely right, it's an abbreviation. Uh, I think kink could simply be defined as being sexually attracted to something or someone in a non-conventional way, which although may simultaneously equally be a fetish, it's not necessarily a fixation per se, but simply unconventionally preferential instead. And that is exactly how we see kink today. When we talk about kink, we talk about preferences and we talk about things that are like what's unconventional. Conventional would be what we would call uh, vanilla sex and kink would be uh, something that may be more um, unconventional. So you're uh, right about that. Uh, my husband wants to try anal sex. I've never done so because I'm scared. Any suggestions on how to go about this? That's a great question and one that comes up quite a bit. Uh, so discussing and having good communication with your partner is important. Doing um, some trying anal sex when you're good and ready is also important, which means that you have to be uh, relaxed. If you're tense, your sphincter muscle will tense up and that's no good. So you have to be relaxed. You should be uh, fully aroused. You should be using uh, lubrication, lots of lubrication, and you should be controlling it. In other words, your partner has to be really in tune uh, to you. And if you say stop, your partner has to stop, especially if uh, you're feeling any kind of discomfort um, or pain. There's a great book by Tristan Taramino about uh, anal sex that you can look up. And it's like a whole book just on that. So that's uh, something that could be useful for you. Uh, coming up, our LGBTQ panel, and we will discuss all kinds of issues, including what two-spirited uh, means. That's coming up next. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, it is our LGBTQ feature, LGBTQ2+, or plus two. No, two plus, right. Uh, it keeps changing and more added, but uh, we've got uh, some interesting panelists for you tonight. We have a brand new panelist, uh, John Silliboy, a Micmac from the Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia. He's presently a McGill researcher and works with Indigenous communities. He is the co-founder of the Wabanaki uh, Two-Spirit Alliance. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lori. I'm very excited to get a, a wonderfully new cultural perspective, which we don't often get on the show. So this is great for us. And, of course, we have uh, David Hawkins, who is the director of the West Island LGBTQ2. Two plus center. Is it youth center or two plus center or just the center? We used to be the youth center and then we merged all of our programming. So now we're just the West Island LGBTQ2 plus center. Right. And they deal with youth and uh, the elderly community too, right? Seniors community and, and all that. So you have like support groups for everybody. Yeah, we've got a program for everything. We've got a youth program, a young adult program, adult program, senior program, parent program. Yeah. And we just started a new trans support group in September. That's wonderful. Yeah. You yeah. guys are amazing. I'm doing, well, we know, need to be, we cover a large area. You cover a large area. <laughs> exactly. So I know. 
know you're anxious to hear about this. I'm anxious to hear about uh, your research, John. Um, it has to do, obviously, with uh, with culture. Like it's like two minorities, right? We're talking about uh, like why is what is the 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 goal of your research? Well, first, let me start off by saying um, I'd like to acknowledge we are on ancestral land here. Um, Thank that's you. always very important, and it's part of protocol. And the other uh, point to clarify is that Two Spirit now is the uh, at the beginning of the acronym, so it's Two Spirited LGBTQ plus. Oh, okay. So okay. Um, that's a new uh, positioning in reference to Two Spirit people and acknowledging the fact that Two Spirited people and Indigenous people are first in the uh, in, in the, the land in, the in land. this area. Okay. So that's that's it's significant to us as Indigenous people that um, that acknowledgement is made and. Uh, a couple months ago, when we were at the uh, Service Providers Summit in Ottawa uh, for the Center of uh, Gender and Diversity, uh, they made the you know mm -hmm. they made the claim there that we should the declaration, declaration right? right? Exactly. Okay, so we have to change that now. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's just a matter of getting used to it. But I think the basic thing is that we, um, for example, in Mi'kmaq, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the word again is Mi'kmaq, um, when we start looking at Indigenous perspectives and identity, we always look at identity as the person, the human. Mm -hmm. So uh, in my previous research, for example, in my master's, I went back to look at through our language and through our cultural perspectives, um, what is to spirit? Mm -hmm. So that very question itself, um, you know, it was something that was um, introduced to the LGBTQ community or the two-spirited LGBTQ community plus now um, back in 1990. And it's been um, recognized as the umbrella term for uh, various expressions of gender and sexuality. So what's the history of that? Can you give us a Absolutely. bit of history? Um, without going into way back of the history, um, essentially what's happened is that pre contact period, uh, indigenous people of Turtle Island, what is North America, would have had their own expressions and their own language and their own cultural understandings about what is gender and sexuality and the expressions and diversity of knowledge around that. So um, in our area, where I come from, Mi'kmaq, which is the eastern coast of Nova Scotia, okay. uh, New Brunswick PEI, parts of Quebec in the Gaspé region mm -hmm. and northern Maine, Newfoundland as well, we would have um, been impacted by culture, uh, cultural erosion by Eurocentric involvement in our area long before the central Canadian region and the western region. Uh, due to that, we've had a lot of cultural erosion around our language, around who we are um, through diverse, uh, let's say, words and terms that may have been used to describe a person who's gender diverse or expresses themselves in a different way. We don't have those words no longer huh. in our language at this point. Part of the research is to go back to our elders and our community knowledge holders to understand how we could develop that knowledge or are there terms that we could probably use again that may have been used before. So that's part of the research. But before I get ahead of Talking about that, I'll I'll just go back and say uh, the term umbrella, the, ter the umbrella term for two spirit came about because there were anglicized words or English words to identify what is gender, what is diversity, uh, used by historians and mm -hmm. scholars and non-indigenous anthropologists, 
and they had made claims about who we are. And really, back in the 1990, and numerous Indigenous scholars out there across Canada have reclaimed through our languages and our cultural perspectives what and who we are as uh, diverse people. So there are words and beautiful words out there that describe people who are, and I'm using air quotes here, mm -hmm. two-spirit, because that wording is a bridging term right now that's used across uh, Turtle Island. The concept is to be uh, further conceptualized by each language group across Canada. So in our area, in Mi'kmaq, we're doing that now. Okay, and so if... Um... So if we look at what the word two-spirited means exactly, like how do we here in like uh, in North America or what have you, how do we understand what that is? Like what is the understanding of, of what two-spirited yeah. means? I think a lot of people are a little confused about that. Absolutely. And not only through language, um, even let's say where we're located there's uh two languages or more okay. uh, that people need to understand but when it came out the language that was used was two-spirit as in english it was understood um that there's a binary notion of gender uh, not a binary notion sorry uh, a duality of gender expression within a person um that those are called spirits that okay. is a male spirit and female spirit. So that's one part to the identity that a lot of people understand as, um, you know, that builds up to what identity is with gender. So people within the communities or the indigenous communities would have that expression? Like there, there would be some people who were considered two-spirited and where and how were those people considered? Exactly. So in languages that exist um, that still have oral tradition and still have oral memory, of um, words that, for example, we're using the word two-spirit now, but there are words that are being used by specific language groups or cultural groups, indigenous cultural groups that have, um, that represent the word what is two-spirit, not necessarily the translation of two-spirit. Right. We tried that as well in Mi'kmaq. It didn't make sense. No? Okay. Two-spirits and, and people in our community said, what are what does they? does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Are they religious <laughs> spirits? Are they spirits as an entities, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, so it's that understanding that there's a male and female and that okay. they're in balance and that they're in moving forward. Um, not everybody expresses themselves in that way. There are other ways that people express themselves um, through, for example, all male, all female, mm -hmm. or a combination of both, one um, being more, uh, let's say, more prominent than the other. But the idea is that was one conceptualization that really made significant um relevance and significance to a lot of people because it just started to make sense for indigenous people that, you know, we have something that's a little more um, respectful. Than, that's what I, I think that was the point I was getting yeah. at, is how are they perceived? Right. And, and, and that part there, it's, it, it, it also is the point of departure for indigenous scholars and our communities to position ourselves back in history and say, we're taking back our own language and back our own culture and our worldview about what gender and, and sexuality and sexual health is, for example. Right. So all of those parts. So it's this respectful term that's used by the LGBTQ community okay. and by our communities. Meanwhile, our, our communities are going further and trying to um, even go further and try to understand what lesbian, gay, bisexual, right. trans is, each term within our language uses as well. Right. So interesting to, to hear just from another culture and how it's all... 
um, how it's all perceived there and how everybody makes sense of things and how language is so important. This is our LGBTQ panel, and you've been listening to uh, John Sillyboy. He's, uh, you pronounce it Mi'kmaq. Mi'kmaq. Yeah. Mi'kmaq. Um, uh, Mi'kmaq from the Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia. He's uh, presently uh, at McGill doing uh, PhD doctoral research and works with the indigenous community. So if you have any questions for our LGBTQ panel, uh, we've got David Hawkins in here as well. He's the director of the West Island uh, LGBTQ2 Plus Center or the 2SLGBTQ Plus now, right? We have <laughs> yes. to say now every few months, I feel like I, I'm either adding a letter or changing something up. So, uh, but, but it's all about inclusion. And I think that's what's important as well is that everybody kind of has a place and feels included. Although one person says, you know, okay, to each his own, but can't we just all just be humans? You know, could, do we have to have all of these letters and keep adding to the letters? Like we're all human. And, and I think the bottom line is, yes, it, it would be nice to be in a place where we didn't have to use even uh, a terminology. We didn't have to be a specific community that everybody's part of the community uh, at large. We'll continue uh, this discussion and also talk about sexual health in queer relationships, things that probably have not been taught in sex education. And David will be able to tell us a little bit more uh, about that. Uh, so we are with uh, John Sillyboy and uh, David Hawkins. Unfortunately, Jean Sillyboy from uh, AIDS Community Care Montreal. I had to cancel last minute a family emergency. So uh, he might still show up. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but let's go to our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Tonight it's our LGBTQ2 plus panel or rather our 2S LGBTQ plus uh, panel. We have uh, John Sillyboy. He's a Mi'kmaq from the Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia, although he's living here in Montreal and, at, and researching at McGill. We have uh, David Hawkins, who is the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 plus center as well. And I want to talk a little bit about sex education uh, because I think in the past, maybe less. Oh, we've got late breaking news. Let's go to that. This is breaking news. Good evening, this is Luciano Pipia from the CJAD 800 Newsroom. A witness says many people are dead in a mosque shooting in New Zealand. Word has it it happened in the city of Christchurch. Again, this is according to a witness. No firm figures are available that many people have been killed in a mosque shooting in New Zealand. Police urging people to stay indoors. We hope to have more in our next update at 11. Thanks for that, Luciano. Oof, I'll, whenever you get breaking news, it just it's always seems to be very sad news, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, getting back to our LGBTQ2 panel, uh, we've got uh, uh, David Hawkins, director of the West Island LGBTQ uh, Center, and John uh, Sillyboy, who's from McGill, and he's a Mi'kmaq, uh, so he can talk to us about two-spirits, uh, two-spirited, about uh, cultural differences. And right now, I, wanted, I do want to address sex education because um, in the past, sex education... Unfortunately, I don't think addressed too many um, issues related to even safe uh, 
safe sex within the queer community. Um, you know, sometimes not even so much within the straight community, but if it, there was sex education, there was little talk about this. So I think there was a, a big gap missing. And I think there may still be because are we talking about this? Are we talking about how to stay safe if two people have a vagina uh, who are together or uh, what you need to do? What's safe? What's not safe? Two people who have uh, together who both have a penis. What is safe? What's not safe? So I want to ask you, David, um, as a young person who uh, did you have sex education? <laughs> I don't know if you can call it that. I mean, okay. we I had it once. I believe I was in sec three and it was really just one or two 50 minute periods and even then, there's not much that was memorable about it. I mean, okay. I know that we definitely talked about sex toys and how to put on a condom and things like that, but I don't remember much of substance of it. And I think that having it once in your whole high school career is also a travesty. I mean, it's not enough. High school is where a lot of people start having sex. They're in that that age bracket. CJEP, and so to have it once for 50 minutes in that five-year span is... Right, of course, and it can't possibly cover everything, which includes the things that uh, kids really want to know, mm -hmm. which is, how do I get into a relationship? How do I start having sex? What if I want it? What if, uh, uh, what about pleasure? What about orgasm? Uh, what if I, uh, what if I like somebody of the same gender? What do I do? What's safe mm -hmm. for me? So these are all things that unfortunately have not been addressed and I'm wondering in the uh, in the native communities and with the indigenous population how how good is the sex education and how good is sex and how good is sex <laughs> I can, okay you can if you can answer that question <laughs> well when I was growing up um, it, it being in a community first nation community I grew up first in Neskazoni first nation where it's uh, Mi'kmaq speaking Okay. And our curriculum currently is in Mi'kmaq as well. So we're building an immersion program into the school system. But as a kid back then, we only knew um, what was taught in English. Okay. And then going into high school, of course, was a different thing. But we didn't have curriculum around um, sex education in our language. We didn't even have um, specific words around what could be used as sexual education in our language. Um, back in in the mid uh, early 80s and mid 80s right. when i was in high school uh you have to remember when aids started coming out yes and one of our elders who just passed away last year had said we need to teach this in schools Good. and and back then she was challenged by our community mm. and our leadership um, because they said you're bringing sex education you just want them to learn about sex rather than what sexual health is. Right. And what Not, sex then people is. make a mis they often mistake that, right? There's right. sexual health yeah. education. People think, oh, you say sex education, you're teaching them how to have sex. Right. Right. And and which wouldn't be a bad thing to learn how to have sex. <laughs> responsibly. Right. Respectfully. Right. Meaningfully. But at this point we were just trying to um, go upstream against the tide of um, I think negative aspects around what AIDS was back then. So uh Many years later, and, and currently what we're trying to understand now is that one of our elders had said, we have to teach our young people what words they should know about their um, parts of their body, right. about what sexual education is, what's meaningful um, sexual health. So, for example, we should also know about the reproduction system. We should know the parts of the vagina 
the parts of the penis, the genitals, and and the whole machinery behind what is. And that's only uh, recently. Uh, well, we're saying that our elder um, had said we need to rescue those words because okay. they're being used in um, closed spaces, not in open spaces, right. not in the school systems. So uh, when I was trying to consult around what. I need to do um, at McGill for research. I knew it would have to be around language, and I knew it had to be around identity, like two spirit identity, and and I wanted to learn further. Well, what do we do? What what is our perspective on having sex, and what is sexual education? What are those terms that our young people should know in describing themselves, and most importantly, um, build a positive cultural identity around who you are. Mm-hmm. as a person who is uh, two-spirited or gay or lesbian or bisexual. That's very important because we've had um, incidents and numbers of people not being able to deal with their gender identity or sexuality and not being able to come out. Mm-hmm. And across Canada, um, not only in our region, but across Canada, um, especially in many communities where they're very isolated and very rural and that the center of uh, secular governance is there still, very potent in in a sense of what colonial um, mm-hmm. uh, paradigms still exist. So those, the churches, the the Christianization, all of those things are affecting people's um, expression of who they are really. So it sounds like it's probably more difficult to come out openly then. Interestingly enough, we did a study a couple of years ago in, in our area about coming out, and we collected coming out narratives because back in um, 2009, one of our communities had a rash of suicides. And mm. in 10 suicides of that year alone, four were people that were two-spirited. Oh, wow. So our community had said, you need to find out what's going on. What is wrong with our young people? Why aren't they dealing with their sexuality and their identity? So we went back and just navigated a little bit and then collected these stories. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And so important that we have to take this outside. And it goes to show that we have to go rural. We have to go because people live everywhere. And you're going to find uh, gay individuals, well, trans individuals, all of that in every community. So uh, to feel included, but you need the language. You need to be able to talk about it first. Uh, Coming up, we'll talk about, uh, unfortunately, a 13-year-old boy who was sexually abused after uh, he went on Grindr. What was he doing on Grindr? Uh, We'll talk about that and find out uh, what that story is about. It's Sex Out Loud. And you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Joining me tonight for my LGBTQ2 plus panel is a John Sillyboy, a Mi'kmaq from the Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia. He's also uh, researching at McGill University. We have David Hawkins, who's the director of the West Island LGBTQ2 plus uh, center as well. Uh, so before I get into this disturbing story, I want to go back again because I was thinking uh, on the break when we talk about 
two-spirited. Again, it, it's still confusing because whenever I hear it, and I know, David, you'll probably agree with this, is that it's a bit of a romanticized term. We often use it in uh, in these in this abbreviation without knowing actually what it is. A lot of people don't know what it is. So, uh, but yet everybody everybody's using it and wants to identify and say, "Oh, I'm you know I'm two-spirited," without really knowing what that is. Is this because they have a little bit of both? They, you know, so I think it, we need to maybe clarify a bit more. Maybe why is it romanticized? Right. And demystified a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I'd like to do that. Um, first and foremost, the word two spirit came from, um, Myra Laramie, who through a vision had been visited by, um, spirits and visions that had explained to her, these are the visions and these are the spirits that represent what the concept of uh, that gender identity or sexuality is. Mm -hmm. um, that's one important component. That's how it started. But then the other part that's very important is that it not only explains one's sexuality or one's gender identity, it, con it, it's con it also involves a person's sense of spirituality and their sense of belonging to our cultures, to our languages. It's a very clear um, understanding that we come from a commonality of history. Um, we're land-based people. We come from um, languages that have thousands of years of worldview that have come together to understand who we are. So it encompasses a whole identity of a culture and cultures of people. So it, it, it certainly is a, a very powerful sounding word that people mm -hmm. say two-spirited and then um, and they really want a uh, sense of belonging to it because it, it really, a lot of people can relate to their um, female side or their male right, side. Exactly. Right, exactly. So that's, that's one part to it. But then that every, I think, individual or human may understand that part to it. But not every human or every person um, is historically connected to indigenous identity. Right. So it sounds a little bit like uh, uh, cultural appropriation in a way. It, it can be. Uh -huh. So that's the importance um, about Two-Spirit is that because it's a bridging term, it's a, an umbrella term to encompass all of those, um, then it's up to us, like the Mi'kmaq or the um, other cultures around North America, to further identify what language can we use to identify maybe the word gay, the mm -hmm. word lesbian. Uh, maybe it's one word that means all of them, or maybe different words. So, for example, in Mi'kmaq, we have a word that we used back in um, the times when people used the word queer as well okay. um, in a negative connotation. So we have the word gistaleg. And gistaleg would mean a being of, or it could also mean odd in our language. It okay. depends on the connotation that you use it. But then it became, um, it fell out of use because more more people are learning more English terms. English terms are becoming more popular for people to use. It's easier to say gay than try to use these other words, right. et cetera, et cetera. But then um, that word, perhaps we can use that word to identify people who are queer, like the word queer itself, and then further identify language um, specific to person's identities or gender or expressions of diversity in that sense. So that's very important. We learned by looking at our um, language and our worldview is that the central identity of a person 
is personhood. The right. the person as a migma. We call the word ulnu. Um, so I'm ulnu first before anything. It's like you're human first. Like it's right. like what our, our texter was trying to say. Can't we just, we're human. Exactly. That's, that's and, the first thing. And, and that's what I came to understand through elders' teachings and through oral tradition and through our um, epistemology or, or, or our source of knowledge was that we are a person first and then throughout your lifetime um, through various phases through development as it would be in any other child develops in mm -hmm. different stages we would understand that um, if proper nurturing and nature comes into play to help with a person coming out then they would come out and that comes at different stages but what happens is that the sense of flux that happens within one's identity is very important we understand that okay. we do not label the person right off to say you're gay or lesbian or bisexual okay. because that may change because we are fluid people we are fluid in gender expression we're fluid as identity because we're always evolving it's all too bad we can't all be that way <laughs> uh somebody says here i always understood that two-spirited is solely represented by first nations even i a metis would be weary of self-describing as such. Is there another term to describe others who embrace both their masculine and feminine counterparts? That's an excellent question. And that's exactly what um, the bridging term or the umbrella term to spirit aims to do is to invite people who speak their language and who still have oral memory is to come up with those terms. If they're silenced or if they have been... Um, put out of use, then bring it back to use. Um, bring it back to the surface. Revitalize that language and, and, and capture that cultural identity that's very important for p young people that are trying to deal with the, their sense of identity as they're um, maturing into adolescence, like you had mentioned, mm -hmm. and, and coming to terms with their sexuality. That's part of all of that. That's cultural identity. And sexuality should be part of our cultural identity as it was before. So what we're trying to do is bring it back to the surface and celebrate it. Wonderful. I learned so much tonight. That's great. Uh, somebody says we are all too spirited or all too spiritual is what they say. I'm not sure what that is. Then um, I love this. Here's an all-inclusive uh, acronym for LGBTQ that depicts universal qualities simultaneously applicable to every gender and sexual orientation as well as every race alike. Love, grace, beauty, truth and equality <laughs> so lgbtq i love that and that goes back to being human first and foremost and i think that's uh, yeah if we could get rid of all of those terms one day where we won't need them because we have all the language and all the acceptance and all just all of us just being human uh then that might be a maybe not in our lifetime but at some point Guys, thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, John, and, and maybe find out a bit more, are you on social media? Yes, absolutely. Um, the Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance is on Facebook. That's um, the organization that I co-founded with Duma Young. And I'm also available on Facebook as well as John R. Sillyboy or email me at johnrsillyboy at gmail.com. Um, here in Quebec, we're excited to see that we're trying to take on uh, a more assertive role, I think, trying to establish something two-spirited here in the um, province of Quebec. So. Good luck. Thank Good you very luck much. With that. And David, where can people uh, find uh, the Youth Centre? So you can always check us out at our physical location in Beaconsfield. Otherwise, Facebook, 
email, what have you, you can find us there. Or you can come check out our AGM coming up on April 29th Wonderful. at uh, at 6.30 p.m. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David, for being here as well. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito, or you can send me questions and what have you on my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion.